Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. It's an honor to open God's Word with you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, whether physical or electronic, find your way to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus, the 19th chapter. Would you follow along with me as I read Exodus 19? Find your way to verse 16. We're going to read Exodus 19, 16 through 25, and then I'm going to jump down to chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. So I'm moving over a large passage of Scripture. I'll call them out as we go so you can stay with me. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I understand there may be others in the room, so if it's slightly varied, uh, I hope that you're able to follow along. Uh, And if you need a copy of God's Word, there are some available in the lobby, blue copies. You can please take one and help yourself to it. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all of these words down to chapter 21, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you 
that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to thick darkness where God was. Would you pray with me this morning? Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. If nothing else were to occur here today, we praise you and thank you that the reading of your word would suffice for your spirit to work in the people. But God, we are thankful for moments of teaching and insight and instruction. Me, most specifically, Father, I am thankful that you instruct me according to your word. And now I pray, Father, that you would speak to those that are here gathered. Speak to me as you speak through me, that we all may be edified and built up and challenged by your word that we may know and follow you in a greater way. God, I pray that in the many places around the world where your word is proclaimed today, may the sinner be humbled to repentance and salvation. May the holiness of your people be lifted high and promoted, and may Christ our Savior be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. There are stories and examples of people being starstruck, just curious, but a show of hands if you're familiar. When I say starstruck, you know what that means. It's just, okay, around the room, young and old, people know what that means. There are examples of people being starstruck. The situation where someone meets a, a famous celebrity, maybe an athlete or a musician or an actor or you name it, a famous person, and they get the opportunity to meet them and say hello to them, and they think, beforehand of all the things they would say and all the things that they would ask. I was in California once with a friend of mine who wanted to walk through downtown San Diego hoping that we would see Tom Cruise. We didn't. We saw a guy trying to be Tom Cruise and that was really funny. And he had all these things in his mind that he would ask him and say to him. And, and I wonder, if we had met him, would he have been starstruck? Would he have been... And you lock up. Many years ago, there was a Christian music artist that uh, was not of major name, uh, but he lived in Michigan for a time, and I was able to meet him and his band and get acquainted with them in a little bit. And uh, they had a concert at a local church when I was leading youth uh, at my dad's church growing up. And so we went to this uh, concert, and because I knew the man and some of his band members, I said, hey, do you guys want to go meet the guy? And we had this girl in the band, or in the youth group, who of course she wanted to meet the guy. And so I'm like, you guys, they're like, really? You think we could? I'm like, yeah, come on, I'll introduce you guys. Come on. And there's, there's like six or seven of us or whatever. And so we meet him, and I'm greeting and saying hello to these people that I've come to know a little bit. And I introduce, and this girl is just like, uh, and just freezes. Just, I mean, literally just is frozen. She can't do a thing. She's starstruck. Right? Like the, the, the intimidation of who someone is rendering us speechless. Men, do you remember when you realized that the woman of your dreams was the woman of your dreams? Do you remember when you didn't want to say a word around her because you don't want to mess it up? You don't want to say the wrong thing? You were, to some degree, Starstruck. You were, better said, awestruck. 
by the intensity of who this woman was and your realization of who she was to you. Maybe you have stood in a place, some grand event has taken place, some, some spectacle has happened. Maybe you've gone to the Grand Canyon. I never have. Many have. Many that I know have. I've never been there. And people say that you, you, you stand in this place and you're just, your breath is gone because of what you're beholding. It's, just, it's unbelievable, the magnificence of it. I've encountered these places in my own life. Often for me, they, they correlate to some historical site. When I stand and I, I simply consider, and maybe you're like, oh, that's boring, but I stand and I just consider what's happened where we're standing. People see the Liberty Bell and they're like, wow. Philadelphia Hall and Washington, D.C. is full of these places. For me, one of the most moving places was on a cutout road in the middle of nowhere on a field in Virginia. And I just stood there crying. For I'm like, why am I, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, I'm with friends and we're having a good time. But as I considered the weight of what happened, I was overwhelmed by what had happened. I was awestruck in that place. Sometimes things that are awe-striking are also terrifying. We live in the Midwest, and so the only example I could think of was a tornado. Like, tornadoes are terrifying. We've seen what they can do. Byron specifically has seen what tornadoes can do. Uh, if you've been around long enough, you remember the great uh, tornadoes in years past in the Flint area that are just absolutely devastating. I would hear stories from, from aunts and uncles and grandparents growing up in the Flint community of the Beecher tornado and all that stuff, that, just terrible what they can do. They're powerful and terrifying. However, because we live in the Midwest, what do we do when there's a tornado warning? Probably mostly the men in the room, but ladies, I want to include you if you're crazy. There might be a tornado any second. What do we do? We go outside. What's wrong with us? We're not right. I get my wife and kids safely downstairs. I'm like, I'll see you in a few minutes, I hope. You've been there. You're laughing because you've done this. What do we do? We go out because, because the event of a tornado is awe-striking, right? These weather events that happen are just simply incredible. You know, when a tornado comes through, and it's windy, and it's raining, and then all of a sudden the, the weather just changes, and the pressure changes, and the, the sky gets all those weird colors, and the air feels different, and you're like, and then everybody's like, I'm just listening for the train. Well, around my house, that's an everyday occurrence multiple times a day. But you're waiting because you know what's about to happen, and you're awestruck by it. And at the same time, if you're honest with yourself, I hope you are. At the same time, while you're on the front porch waiting for it to happen, you think, this could happen in an instant and I might die. And my house could be destroyed. Well, my family, why? Because it is awe-striking and terrifying at the same time. Have you ever been awestruck and terrified? Have you ever encountered something that is awe-striking and terrifying? As we continue our journey through Exodus, watching how God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people, an awe-striking and terrifying situation is precisely what the people of God are encountering at the foot of Mount Sinai. And I would say they are encountering not only something that is awe-striking and terrifying, they are encountering the most 
awe-striking and the most terrifying thing that one could ever encounter. I entitled today's sermon, The People Meet God. And as we examine this piece of scripture, it is my hope and intent that those here who have met God and those here who we pray will meet God, it's my intent to convey to you how meeting God is an awe-striking and terrifying thing even still for us today. Meeting God is awe-striking and meeting God is terrifying. What is awe-striking to the Israelites before Mount Sinai. We just read it, but did you consider some of the things we read? Thunder, lightning. People are like, that's not, that's, mm, thunder and lightning, that's not so awe-striking. Sometimes it is though, isn't it? Sometimes when the thunder peals and your whole house shakes and you go, whoa, that was awesome. Is everything okay? Thunder, lightning, a trumpet, not only a trumpet, a trumpet that got louder and louder. I grew up in Durand, and I won't let anyone hold it against me, but that's where I grew up. And in Durand, we were big band people. That's, that's really all we were good at for a very long time. Sports was not so awesome, but the band was. And I grew up near one of my teachers who had two sons who were friends of mine, and they were both in the band also. And they lived, well, I guess two... Two blocks in Durand, but maybe that's only one city block in a big city, but they lived about two blocks away from me. And one played the trombone and one played the tuba, and everyone around knew it. We could hear them from our house. Oh, they're practicing. <laughs> louder and louder. The people hear this trumpet call, thunder and lightning, and a trumpet that gets loud. It's, like, it's one thing to hear something. It's one thing to hear something and have it not diminish. The people are hearing this thunder. They're seeing this lightning and a trumpet that gets louder and louder. And not only that, there's this thick cloud. I made note of it, actually. Thick cloud at the end of uh, verse 21 in chapter 20, thick darkness, same things, mixed throughout smoke and smoking. It says the smoke of Mount Sinai as the Lord came down on it was going up like that of a, of, a, of a kiln, of a furnace. I passed a house the other day that had their wood boiler just rocking. And I could not believe how thick the smoke was coming out of the stack. Like, it's, it's not uncommon to see wood boilers in our area. But the smoke was coming out so thick. Like, there was no... It wasn't dissipating at all for many, many feet up in the air, just this thick column of smoke. And that's what I had in mind as I thought here about the people looking at the mountain and this smoke just rising up from it. Thunder and lightning, a trumpet that got louder and louder, thick cloud, thick darkness, smoking. It says the earth itself trembled. The mountain trembled greatly, verse 18. Trembling, quaking ground. Now I want us to consider for a moment how awesome that was. But briefly, I want to take us backwards in time and consider everything they've seen to this point. And there's a reason for it. These people saw, remember God said earlier in chapter 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And so we have to take that into account. It's in the context of where we are this morning. These people had seen what God had done to the Egyptians. And what did he do? He turned all of the water to blood. They saw that happen. They saw fish 
die in the waters because the waters did not become like blood. The waters became blood throughout the entire land. They saw the frogs that were everywhere, the gnats that were everywhere, the flies. They'd seen the death of all the livestock. They'd seen the boils, the hail, the locust, the darkness. They'd seen all of these things happen to the Egyptians, plenty enough certainly for them to be awestruck by. Moreover, they heard the wailing of the Egyptians as the firstborn of every home from Pharaoh to the slave girl died. And they saw them burying those dead firstborn children as they left Egypt. They saw the Lord pass over their blood-marked doors. They saw the pillar of cloud and of fire. They saw the sea open. And do you remember what it says? They saw the sea opened and they saw, moreover, they felt the dry ground under their feet as they passed through the sea to the other side. They saw the sea close and destroy Pharaoh's army to never be seen again. They ate bread that came down from heaven and covered the ground. They drank water that came from a rock. They saw all of these things that God had done. But now, here at the foot of Mount Sinai, they are not seeing what God has done, and I want us to catch this point. They're not seeing what God has done now. They are seeing God. They are not seeing water turn to blood or flies or gnats or pestilence or locusts or darkness. They're not seeing people die. They're not seeing fire and cloud, bread and water. They're beholding the Almighty. They're beholding the God of their fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And their response as they see him come down, did you see what it said? Came down on the mountain in fire, verse 18. And their response, they trembled. Verse 16. Chapter 20, verse 18. They trembled and stood far off. Chapter 20, verse 21. They stood far off. To understand that as they came face to face with an encounter of the holy God, their response was to physically quake and to realize not only has God said, don't touch the mountain lest you die any man or beast. They're not going to touch that mountain because God is descending upon it and they are witnessing God coming down. The people of Israel, certainly in the Bible, are not the only ones that we find awestruck by meeting God. Indeed, it is the only real reaction when God is truly met. And if you're a thinking person while I speak, your logical thought is leading you to the question I'm going to ask. Have you ever truly met God? In the Bible, 
when God is met, people are awestruck by him. The writer of Exodus, Moses himself, chapter 3, was awestruck. Why? Because he saw a bush that burned and was not consumed, and then God spoke to him. He fell down and worshiped. Joshua, before Jericho, is awestruck by the commander of the army of the Lord and falls to his face in worship. John, writing Revelation, I don't even know how he wrote it, he's falling down all the time. He's seeing things that are so terrifying and so awe-striking as he encounters God and is given this revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the end of all things, that he's falling down all the time, sometimes at the wrong time, and other people in the narrative of Revelation are saying, you get up! I'm just a servant with you. Don't fall at my feet. Fall at his feet. Do you remember what he says in Revelation chapter 1? When he, here, what's he say? I heard behind me, right? Just, just feel his words for a second. I heard behind me. And I turned. And I saw. And Jesus, the Lord, risen Christ, glorified speaks to John and he worships. The people in the temple witnessing the boy Jesus, not even knowing that they are standing in the presence of God. Jesus Christ is eternally the Son of God and in the flesh, truly God, truly man. The people in the temple when the boy is 12 years old are amazed and marvel at his wisdom at his knowledge, at his speech, at his teachings. The people who heard the man Jesus, awestruck by his authority. In John 1, when Jesus calls Nathanael to follow him late in the chapter, Philip comes and says, come, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Nathanael says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Like, there's, that's, a, that's a heel of a place. That's like Erie, Pennsylvania. Can anything good come from Nazareth? When he approaches, what does Jesus say to Nathanael? Remember the encounter? He comes up and Jesus says to him, Behold, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathanael is marveling at that and Jesus says, I saw you before Philip called you, sitting under whatever some such tree that was. And Nathaniel is awestruck as Jesus says to him, I saw you, saw me? I saw you, why? Because he is eternally God. Think of the woman at the well. She's awestruck. How do we know? Because she runs, this woman who's had five husbands and the husband she has, a man she's with now is not her husband. What does she do? She doesn't run and hide in shame of her testimony. She runs and tells everyone in the town, come and meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. She's awestruck. And the Bible says that many believed because they went. And do you remember what the people say in John 4? We no longer believe because you told us. I wonder how many people are believing because of what you're saying. We no longer believe because you told us. We believe now because we have seen. Some may be asking, what actually makes God so awe-striking? The Westminster Larger Catechism. Wow, that's a big title for an old document that taught doctrine through questions and answers. It taught people what the Bible says 
through questions and answers. That's all it means. Question number seven asks, what is God? I wonder if you've ever considered that answer in your life. What is God? Just think about that. What is God? Somebody wants to correct me and say, no, not what is, who is. Yeah? What is God? I think the answer captures very well why God is awe-striking even for us today. Question seven, what is God? Answer, God is a spirit in and of himself infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection. All sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. If you, like I did, just sit and marinate in all of those descriptives of God that are thoroughly seen throughout all of Scripture, I promise you, you will end up sitting at your desk like I did going, wow. Because God himself is so thoroughly captivating. He's awe-striking. I wonder, have you met God? Have you been awestruck by the great I am? When you meet this God, when you meet the God of the Bible, you will be as the man Job. I cover my mouth. Truly, I spoke of things I do not understand. I wrote it down because his words are so great. I had heard of you, but now my eye sees you. Job's response, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust. Because he had come face to face with an awe-striking God. He had met God, and he was awestruck. Have you met God? They are not just awestruck at what they see. They are awestruck and they are terrified. There is an element of fear that is present among the people of God. And we're not talking about that cushy fear, worship, reverence. Like, we love that. But sometimes we love it too much, which causes us to sacrifice truly fearing God. Moses is careful and very intentional to tell us about the posture of the people. Twice they trembled. Twice they stood far off. Verse 18 of chapter 20, they were afraid. Bible students, I want you to write down this rule. You're like, I'd like to study the Bible better. Here's a rule for you. Scripture is always the best interpreter of Scripture, and Scripture is always the best commentary on scripture. There are a lot of good materials and resources for us, but scripture tells us what scripture means best itself, and it tells us about what scripture is saying best itself. Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament, the writer unknown to us, we know only inspired by the Holy Spirit, says these words about this very scene. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble in fear. This is not reverence. This is not worship. This is terror on the part of the people 
encountering a most holy God. Not only their actions demonstrate fear, look at their words. Chapter 20, verse 19, lest we die. Have you ever been actually on the verge of death and been terrified? I don't think I've ever been in those shoes. I know that I know people who have been. Maybe you in the room can relate to that. Right on the edge of some terrifying experience where you're like, there's no coming back. This is it. I can only give you a silly illustration of that, and I won't because it's silly. But there are those who have really grappled with such a serious situation where they are afraid, this is the end. I'm not coming back. And I'm not talking about those illnesses and sicknesses, something that they encounter that all of a sudden is like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out. These people, lest we die, why are they afraid? Lest we die, because God had said, don't touch the mountain or you'll be shot or you'll be stoned. Under pain of death, you will touch the mountain. And as they behold God coming down, as they hear the thunder, as they see the lightning, the fire, the smoke, as the trumpet gets louder and louder, they are trembling in fear and terrified at what is taking place. They're not going to die for hearing God. In verse 19 of chapter 20, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. They're not going to die for that. They're going to die if they touch the mountain under penalty of death. But as they are not only awestruck, they are also terrified. Afraid. Why really? There are plenty of us in the room right now who know. God is not one to be afraid of. I want to challenge that line of thinking just a little bit. The Bible says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says that God judges righteous judgment. That God's wrath is righteous. That God disciplines. Why is that intimidating? Why is that thought scaring to us? Why does it at times terrify? As a young person, I can recall laying in my bed terrified at the thought of enduring the judgment of God. Why? Because I was disobedient to the word. Why do we fear God? Because he's righteous. And we are what? At best, attempting to be righteous but sinful. And an element of fear crosses this threshold where, I'm sorry, people want to be somewhere in the passage just like, God is love. He loves you. Don't worry about a thing. He's so loving. He's such a loving God. And he is infinitely so. God is love. But God is righteous. And for us to stand before him, that's a terrifying thought. There's an element of fear. Certainly, again, as they're not the only ones awestruck, they are also not the only ones that are terrified. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, is shown the Lord, he says, man, his words are so wonderful, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. And the train of his robe was filling the temple. And above him were the angels Shouting back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy. This is the picture that Isaiah gets of God and that God gives us of himself in his eternal abode, his eternal dwelling. 
Isaiah sees this in verses six through seven of Isaiah, or verses one through seven of Isaiah six. The prophet writes, Woe to me. I'm lost. I'm undone. I'm dead. That is Isaiah's reaction to beholding God on his throne. Samson's father, Judges chapter 13, verse 22. God has revealed himself and his plan through Manoah and his wife to give this deliverer to Israel. Judges is a terrible book. You want to read something terrible in the Bible? Read the book of Judges. You know why it's terrible? The the framework is all set up and the theme rests on these words. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There's no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, but God sends deliverers because his people are oppressed. Why? Because they disobeyed him. How gracious and merciful is God. His people are so disobedient. And instead of just letting them suffer for it, what does he do? He raises up deliverers. Why? To point to himself that they may fear and trust him. Judges chapter 13, verse 22 Samson's father, after receiving the plan from God, you'll have a son, don't cut his hair, don't give him wine, he'll be strong, he'll be a deliverer. Manoah says these words, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Moses asks to see God's glory, Exodus chapter 33, we'll get there one of these years. You cannot see my face, God says. For man shall not see me and live. Those words of God in Exodus chapter 33 make the gospel in Jesus Christ so powerful. And if you don't know why, you need to read John chapter 1 verse 18. Because the eye of man has seen God. And as we, through faith, see God, we live and do not die. Jesus said, Pastor, I'm I'm just not sure about this fearing of God. Jesus literally says, fear God. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Worried about people around them. And he says, don't worry about the people around you. Don't worry about those who may take your life and cause you harm. Don't worry about them. Worry about, are you living in a way that honors and pleases and glorifies God? Because if not, he has the ability to destroy both your body and your soul. He says, Jesus himself, in the fire of hell for all eternity. Fear that. That's not like, God is love. And I feel so good about, that's terrifying. Are you living in a way where the terrifying aspect of meeting God brings you closer to obeying him? God is not a God who intimidates us into following us, but God is a God who says, if you disobey me, there is wrath in store for you. Pastor, we're redeemed through Jesus Christ. Yes, we are. Eternal wrath taken care of, but many are they who suffer now because of disobedience. That's terrifying. And awe-striking. Talking about the fear of God is so difficult in this culture. God is love. We love when fear means to worship and respect and reverence God. We love when 
Fear means God does something for us because he loves us and we love him. But we never think about fearing God and being afraid of the Holy One because we are so sinfully sick. This drives us to repentance. This drives us to confession of sin and being cleansed and made righteous as we draw near to God. And the awesome thing about fearing God, would you look down in chapter 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, to God's people, look what he says, do not fear. God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The words of God to his people, it is always, do not fear. He is a God to be feared, but he is not a God to be afraid of. Do not fear. Look at the end of that verse, verse 20. He has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The fear of who God is drives us to obedience. God is righteous and holy, and when we recognize, if we recognize the way that the Israelites recognized here, that God is awe-striking and terrifying, we will draw nearer to obedience. Now, I want to be very careful because sometimes all that's heard there is obey and be right. No, faith justifies, and faith alone, by the grace of God alone, are we saved, not of works. So your obedience is not going to save you. Your obedience is not going to produce anything but your further holiness and the glory of God. And that's enough. Faith alone, by the grace of God alone, and for those who have through faith believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, it is now time to obey. Someone's wondering, why did you just skip over all the Ten Commandments? Oh, I haven't. What I did was put them in their proper context. Because innumerable are the amounts of sermons out there that will teach you to be morally good by observing the law. But neither God nor myself, nor I pray any man who's ever a shepherd over you, desires your moral goodness. We desire obedience to God. And obedience to God is produced out of the fear, the awe-striking nature of God. Now, the Ten Commandments are rightly situated for us to consider in the fear of God, being awestruck by his magnificence and all that he is, we can consider all of his law. Lord willing, we'll do this in coming weeks. Did you notice verse 18? Pastor, can you... Can you explain a little further just briefly what you mean? Yes, verse, verse 16 of chapter 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders 
and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then the narrative goes on. Moses goes up, God speaks, go down, come up. But did you notice, God says, go down. Look down to verse 25. I'm I'm helping you with putting together structure of the Bible. So Moses went down and told them, and God spoke all these words, saying, The Ten Commandments, verse 1 through 17. Verse 18, now when the people saw the thunder, the lightning, the trumpet, the smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and said to Moses, you speak to us. Do you understand that the Ten Commandments are situated squarely in that moment? They have heard from God, the law of God, and they are overwhelmed. They cannot endure. Hebrews chapter 12 is a great commentary on this, actually, and in the coming weeks, we'll probably look at it a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 19 says that the people heard a voice commenting on this piece of scripture. Hebrews 12, 19 says, they heard a voice whose words made them beg that no further messages be spoken to them. It is in this awe-striking, terrifying scene that God declares his law to man. For now, have you met God? I mean, how many of us would just say yes? Yeah, I've met God. Have you? Have you met God? Has your mind your body, your soul? Has everything about you been awestruck by who God is? Or is it just data and information on a page that some guy relays to you once a week or once a month or whenever? The same God who came down on the mountain in fire, trembling, smoke, thunder, a trumpet that gets louder and louder. I need you to understand the same God of Exodus 19 comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. The same God. He does not change. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. He is the same forever. Have you met God? Have you been captivated by his love? Have you been enraptured in his goodness? Have you in your thought been transcended from this world to the very foot of God on his throne in worship? He's not a God of ideology. He's not a God of philosophy. He's a real God who descended on a real mountain and who descended in a real physical body and died a real physical death for us and rose to a real physical life again and is returning. Have you been captivated by this God? This is the greatest question throughout all of human history. There's nothing else to talk about. Your confession of faith means that you've encountered this God. But have you ever been awestruck? Have you ever been terrified? To meet God is to be awestruck, is to be terrified at the reality of this sovereign, divine, eternal, heavenly being that we cannot see, but who is so clearly evident. Have you met God? Have you been struck by his holiness? 
his power? Have you gazed upon his majesty? Have you considered his authority? Has the reality of who God is caused you to tremble, to stand at a distance? Have you listened to God until you were overwhelmed and said, I can listen no more? Have you been awestruck? Do you fear? Is it scary to think of crossing the line and touching the mountain and breaking God's command and him breaking out against you? Lest he break out against you. The same God comes to us through faith in Jesus. Have you been awestruck by the Savior? Jesus is no less awestruck. You understand this was the great problem for the Jews. Isaiah told us it would be so. No form or stately majesty that we should take note of him. Nothing that calls out who he is. Just a man who grew up before us like a tender shoot. To who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To those who have been awestruck and to those who have been terrified. Jesus Christ is no less awe-striking. He is no less terrifying. He possesses all of the same holiness, all of the same power, all of the same majesty, all of the same authority, and one day he will return to exercise every single attribute of God for eternity. Everyone on that day, the Bible tells us, everyone will be awestruck and everyone will be terrified, but not those with faith in Jesus. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, the fear of God is turned into peace from God. As I close, have you met God? Have you considered all of who he is? Have you bowed before his throne? Have you cried out, oh God, forgive me. You are holy and I am sinful. I confess my sin and I see you, Isaiah said, seated on the throne, the train of his robe filling the temple, and his only response was, I'm undone. Have you met God? Have you called on him for mercy? The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Have you been awestruck? Have you been terrified? Has that fear been turned into peace through faith in Jesus? If you want to know more, if you'd like to talk more about that, I would love to talk with you for now. Let us pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, to know you is to tremble before you. And though you have given me great grace and peace as I speak, my spirit trembles in fear. Fear God for the accountability that I will have before you on the day of judgment for every word that I have spoken to these people. Fear that you are so righteous and so holy and we never could be, yet also thanks because through faith in Jesus Christ we become the righteousness of who you are. God, I pray that your people would encounter you in such a way as to be awestruck and terrified as we consider, as we wonder all of who you are. God, I pray, capture our lives with your holiness. May our pursuit of you be because we have come to the foot of the cross and have met you. Your grace drawing us and leading us. Your mercy forgiving us and freeing us. 
God, may we be a people awestruck, terrified, trembling before you, a holy God. And may this also motivate us in our gospel urgency. God, I pray that as we understand more of who you are, God, I pray that our worship would rise as a sweet offering. I pray, God, that our lives would be transformed because we have met you. Father, for those that may be in the room today and do not know you, I pray for their souls. I intercede for them. Oh, God, that you would be merciful and save. Father, that they would confess and be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, that they would call on you. For the Christian, God, captivate us. Captivate us to the point that nothing else in life matters, that everything fades into the light and beauty of who you are. God, we love you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.